Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Joshua chapter one, starting with uh, verse one, starting with verse one reads this way. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He says, Moses, my servant is dead. Now you and all the people prepare. Everyone say prepare. Prepare to cross over the Jordan to the land I am giving the Israelites. I have given you every place where the sole of your foot treads, just as I promised Moses. Your territory will be from the wilderness of Lebanon to the great river, the Euphrates River, all the land of the Hittites, and west to the Mediterranean Sea. And no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. I will be with you just as I was with Moses. I will not leave you or abandon you. This is an opening. Joshua chapter 1 is one of the greatest transitional passages and transitional chapters in the Bible because um, God's people, you know, have been delivered out of the hand of slavery by the hand of the Egyptians. They were in bondage for over four generations, over 400 years, held in bondage and held captive by a uh, people that the word of God says were actually weaker than them. Isn't that interesting? If you go back to Exodus chapter one, it actually says that the Israelites were stronger than the Egyptians. So where did they get broken down? They weren't broken down physically. It says that the Israelites were greater in number, in quantity, and they were stronger in might, in quality. So if you can't break someone down by numbers and you can't break someone down by strength, you break them down in their mind. You break them down mentally. And this is where the war wages because you can be stronger and you can have the better team and you can have the stronger roster and you can have all the components on paper. But if you get broken down in your mind, you'll never defeat an enemy that's weaker than you, smaller than you, has nothing against you. And so these Israelites, they were the the stronger of the two between the Israelites and the Egyptians. But Pharaoh knew if I don't break them down in their thinking, they're going to overthrow us. They're going to overtake us. They're going to grow. They're growing so mightily. They're multiplying exponentially. I mean, their, their crew is, if we're not careful here, if we don't manage this right, they're going to overrun us. And so for 400 years, they thought like slaves, even though they were built like victors. They thought like slaves, even though they were built. They had all the resource they needed. They had the strength. They had the numbers. They had the wherewithal. And on top of that, they had God backing them. You can look throughout the word of God, especially in the Old Testament. You look at how the enemies of God saw the nation of God. They were scared. They were terrified. If those people ever find out, if those people ever show up here, if, 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 and even in the, the passages beyond Joshua chapter one here, you'll, you'll find when they send in spies and they come into contact with the woman named Rahab, Rahab said, our people already know that this land belongs to you. We are, you know, the enemy already knows what you are going to do to him. He's already read the back of the book. He already knows how this thing ends up. It's amazing that the enemy has more faith in the word than some Christians do. (laughs) Hello? He knows it's coming to pass. He knows what Revelation says. He knows how this thing ends up. He ends up in chains. He ends up bound. He ends up defeated. If only we knew. Oh, man, if only we knew. Rahab told those spies, our people already know, we're terrified. You go to Joshua chapter 6, verse 1, just jot it down. You'll find out that the whole reason why the walls of Jericho were even built up the way they were is because they knew about God's people. They knew about the nation of God. They knew about what was going to happen. If your enemy has more faith in the word than you do, there's a problem. 
I don't need to consult my enemy to determine my strength. I get it from the word of God. I get it from who he said I am. And I am who he said I am. And I can have what he says I can have. And I can do what he says I can do. And I put my full faith and my full trust and my full reliance and my full dependence on what his word says. And then I enact that authority and I step and and work in and operate in who God has called me to be. I cannot be overthrown. I cannot be defeated. I will not quit. I will not back down. I will not step down. I will not, I will not be moved by what I see, by what I hear, by what I feel. I know what the word of God says. The Egyptians broke down a people that were stronger than them, better than them, greater than them, multiplying in numbers. And you know what the, you know what the Egyptians did? Is they took the strength of the Israelites and used it to their advantage. They made them build their cities. See, the enemy will get you busy building his stuff so you can't ever work on the kingdom mission that you were put on this earth for. He'll get you chasing after his things and his desires and you'll be, you'll be tired and you'll be beat down and you'll be wore out and you'll work, but you won't be accomplishing kingdom work. You'll be accomplishing the wrong mission, the wrong effort. And so now, Joshua chapter 1 is a, is a chapter of transition. Everyone say transition. Transition means you're going somewhere, amen? You don't transition backwards. You always transition forwards. Transition is a point, is an intersection. Transition is a moment. Transition is an event. Transition is a decision that's made. I'm moving on from this and going towards this. We fall backwards, but we transition forward. There's a difference. There's a difference in mentality. There's a difference in my, my in being deliberate and intentional with my actions and my movements. When I'm not deliberate, I fall back. I digress. But when I'm intentional, I transition. And we're coming up on a transition, aren't we? Calendar-wise, we're coming up on transition. Our nation's coming up on transition, where we're seeing transitions take uh, all, all around us, and it's going to be with intention that you transition with the purpose of God in mind. For 40 years, these Israelites have wandered around in circles. Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy record the, the circling, the circling. And God says, we're transitioning, we're doing something. He says, prepare. Make preparations because you are going to cross over the Jordan to the land I am given the Israelites. That's verse two. Moses, my servant is dead. The old is gone, he's saying. The new is come. And now I'm transitioning you and there's gonna be different expectations in this new season. New expectations from God, but new expectations of you. You say, we're not going to do it. You know, you, you can't walk into a new season with old thinking. You can't walk into a new season with old thinking. The old thinking will cripple you. Trying to get it done the way you used to get it done. Trying to have the same expectations that you used to have. Trying to get God to do the same stuff you tried to get him to do in the last season. Walking in with the same people and walking in with the same habits and walking in with the same agendas and walking in with the same mentalities and the same thinking. It will cripple you because a new season requires new thinking. That's why he says renew your mind. Be renewed. Why? Because where you're going requires you to lay aside who you used to be. Put down what you used to do. Walk away from what you used to have. It's transition. This is a transition he's talking about. He's saying, Moses, my servant is dead. What's he saying? The circling is over. The way he led is over. What I was doing in the wilderness is over. Now let's talk about the wilderness because the wilderness was miraculous to put it lightly, to say the least. The, the wilderness was incredible. Because before you transition, there's always preparation. If you aren't prepared for transition, you won't make it. 
And the wilderness was a season where God could show his hand. In fact, he, he, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, I believe, when he was reading off the, the blessings and the cursings, if you obey all these commands, I'll bless you. And, and there's like 14 verses. If you disobey these commands, I'll curse you. And then the curses are like 54 verses. What's that tell you? I want to stay with the, the blessing. I don't know about you. There's a lot more cursing than there is blessing listed there. I want to stay with God. I want to stay in alignment with his word. And in that passage, he says, he says, I did these signs and these wonders. What were the signs and the wonders? Well, we started off with, with, with the Red Sea parting. Never seen that before. There's a lot of firsts that took place in the wilderness. A lot of exciting moments and opportunities. I mean, put yourself in that place. You're, 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 you're standing between the, the Red Sea that's going to swallow you up or the Pharaohs charging on you that are going to take you back into slavery that you just got brought out of. Where do we go from here, right? And you see the Red Sea split open. And God takes care of every detail. He doesn't make you drudge across the mud. He even dries that up for you. Then that very sea that opened up for you swallowed the Pharaohs. Swallowed the Egyptians and Pharaoh included. Swallowed up the enemy. Rejoicing. Well, now we get thirsty. We start complaining. What does God do? He brings water out of a rock. A rock. Y'all seen a rock? Bring out water? Y'all seen that one? I ain't seen that one. Water out of a rock. Put yourself in that place. You're complaining. You're thirsty. Oh, man, what, Moses, what'd you do? You brought us out here. You brought us to this Red Sea. And we ought to just have died in the Red Sea. You might as well just let us die out there. At least there was water. Now we don't have any water. And by the miraculous hand of God, Moses strikes a rock, water comes out, flowing out of there. Well, now we get hungry. All, all just the basic necessities of life, right? It, it's nothing super drastic and crazy. But it's all stuff that they had in slavery. See, see, you, you, you know when you're in a real faith battle because you start looking at slavery like it was the good life. That's when you know you're in a test. That's when you know you're, you're in, a, in a real faith test. Because you can look back at slavery and start picking out all the good stuff. But at least, at least when I was sick, I had people that called me. At least when I was broke, I didn't have all this responsibility, right? We can always look back and find stuff to complain about. We can find stuff to complain about where we're at now, and we can find stuff that we enjoyed where we used to be. It's all about perspective. Now we're hungry. So he gets birds to bring them dinner in the evening. I can't even get Chick-fil-A. To get, I mean, you know this year's been crazy when Chick-fil-A starts messing up food. I've never had Chick-fil-A, but they're getting too much sun out there or something. They're leaving out fries and forgetting sauces and all. Don't you put that in there without any Polynesian sauce. You better have some Polynesian sauce. Come on now. You might as well just automatically drop those in the bag every time, right? Am I all right? Got birds bringing them dinner in the evening. They wake up in the morning and manna is on the ground. They don't even know what it is. It's so good. They, they, they don't even know what to call it. They had to make up a word for it. Manna. We'll just call it manna. But even in the blessing, the redundancy of it and it being done every day and God not changing up the, the menu, then they start complaining about that. But God doing miraculous signs and wonders. There was one time they were fighting a battle. And as long as Moses' arms were lifted in the air, they were winning the battle. And if he got tired and his arms began to droop, they began to lose. And simply their victory hinged upon this man holding his arms in the air. So they sent a couple of guys up there and says, we need reinforcements up there. Forget the front lines. You get his arms up, we good down here. As long as his arms were up. I mean, crazy, awesome, miraculous stuff. But that was the wilderness. Everyone say, that was the wilderness. That was the wilderness. Now God is transitioning them to take action. See, miracles are great. Miracles prove who God is. 
and he will perform the miraculous in your life. There will be opportunities where God will do what only he can do. There will be opportunities where you will have to have God show up in signs and wonders and in strength and in his ability because it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by the Spirit, says the Lord. There's The only way we're getting through is by a miracle at the hand of God. We need the miraculous. In fact, one of the nine gifts of the Spirit is working of miracles. That's how much he wants you to see the miraculous in your life, that he even gave you a gift, a working of miracles. He gave to the body of Christ a gift of working of miracles to see the miraculous take place. But here's what I want you to know about miracles. Miracles to us is, is, is the things that we uh, would would almost not even expect, beyond our expectations. Um, It's out of the ordinary. It's not just normal. But to God, miracles are a normal way of operating. The miraculous is where God lives. That's where he operates on a regular basis. And miracles were never designed to get you out of having to live a life by faith. Miracles were not designed to remove us from responsibility of applying our faith and living by faith. But yet, the body of Christ today has accepted miracles as as this is like, you know, it, it becomes a result of complaining rather than living by faith. Think about it. The Red Sea, what were they doing before those waters parted? Were they all on their hands and knees and glorifying God and thanking him for parting the waters and, God, we know you're going to deliver us? Were they saying that? Come on, y'all know your Bible. Yeah, they were not saying They were ready to kill Moses. They were ready to kill him on the spot and then hand themselves over to the enemy. And they were complaining, is this why you brought us out here, Moses? Was it just be taken captive to die at the hand of Pharaoh or to die in this sea here? They were, there was no faith involved at all. Just strictly the goodness of God. No worship service, no preaching and teaching, right? They weren't going back and reviewing their notes from last Sunday. They were complaining. They were grumbling. They were going against the man of God himself. And God showed himself. What about with the water? Did that come because they all, you know, let's gather around this rock. We, we believe two or three are gathered together. If we ask anything in his name, and we believe water will come out of this, were they doing that? No. They were complaining and grumbling. Again, why did you bring us out here? To die? To die of thirst? At least in Egypt we had water. And water comes out of the rock. What about the food? Any faith applied there? God, we know you're the provider. You're the, st- you're the sustainer. You're Jehovah Jireh. You, you're more than enough. We, we know exceedingly abundant. We, we know you're not, you didn't bring us out here to die. No, they said you brought us out here to die. The exact opposite. No faith involved at all. And yet the miracle still shows up. But now God is saying, I'm not going to operate that way anymore. I'm not going to operate where you can say whatever you want and act however you want. And I'm just, I did those things to prove to you what I can do. But now your faith proves to me that you believe in what I can do. Miracles prove who God is. But our participation and our responsibility proves to God that we believe in who he is. Amen. We talked about it last week, that God is not just the God that does stuff for me, it's who he is. I read a quote that said, instead of wanting more from God, we ought to desire more of God. Instead of just wanting more from God, we ought to live our lives with a desire for more of God. Because when you get God, I love that verse that says, and the God of peace, the God of peace. We all want the peace of God. We all want 
the peace of God, right? The peace of God that surpasses all knowledge. Well, guess what? When you get the God of peace, guess what comes with him? The peace. When you serve God, you get the healing. You get the provision. You get the abundance. You get the blessing. You get the promise. But we go after him, not his stuff. God is not a resource. He is the source. And everything flows from him. If I'll just get closer to him, I'll get everything else I'm looking for and everything else I'm searching for and everything else I'm working for and everything else I'm yearning for. Do our prayers mostly consist of a checklist and a to-do list for God? If anything, our prayers should have a to-do list from us. Here's what I'm going to do. I want to draw closer to you. I want to know you better. I want to know you more. So Paul said, I want to know him. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. They're getting ready to learn, discover, have revealed to them a different God. Same God, different perspective. Same God that operated in the wilderness, but now God is going to usher them into this new season with a new thinking the new perspective. If you think like slaves, you live like slaves, even though you're the greater, even though you're the better, even though you're the stronger. If we don't change our thinking, we'll find our wells, find ourselves walking around and circling around the things that God has called us to enter into. It's time we stop walking in circles and it's time we start moving and advancing forward into the things of God. He says this in verse six. Be strong and courageous, for you will distribute the land I swore to their fathers to give them as an inheritance. Who's he telling to be strong and courageous? Well, he's talking to Joshua. The word of the Lord is coming to Joshua, but he's commanding the people, be strong and courageous. He never commanded them to be strong and courageous in the wilderness. They could grumble and complain and get God to work on their behalf. But now he's directing the responsibility. You see a change? You see the direction is flowing differently? You be strong and courageous. Above all, be strong and very courageous to observe carefully the whole instruction my servant Moses commanded. So you're not going to take the thinking from the last season, but you are going to take the instruction from the last season. See, what God instructed you in the last season is the instruction that we're going to live on in the new season. That's what we're going to abide by. That's what we're going to follow. I'm not taking that same thinking. I'm not taking those same expectations. But the instructions Moses gave, I'm carrying that into the new season. What I learned in the last season will help propel me into the new season. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you will have success wherever you go. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and have success or succeed in whatever you do. Anybody want success in whatever I mean, just fill in the blank. Success in marriage, success in family, success in home, success in business, whatever it is, fill in the blank. He says you will succeed at whatever if you honor God's word and keep it first, carefully observe. Haven't I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. What's that tell you? If someone warns you three times, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid. That there might be something coming up that would want to move me to fear. Something coming up that I'm going to need to stand in courage about. We're walking into the promised land. We're walking into the blessing of God. We're walking into the promises that God has proclaimed over our lives. But he's letting them know there's going to be circumstances. There's going to be opportunities for fear. There's going to be challenges that are going to try to be indicators to you that maybe we're not walking out the plan of God. But the plan of God, the promise of God, the purpose of God will require you to be courageous. Will require you to be steadfast. Will require you to be faithful. Will require you to stand in a position regardless of what the outside is telling you. We've got to be careful. 
that we don't allow external factors to be indicators to us on whether or not we're in the plan of God. He's letting them know, you'll see things on the outside. You'll feel things pressing on you. You'll fight battles and you'll wage wars and you'll come up against things that are gonna challenge you and challenge your faith. He says, do not turn from it to the right or to the left. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He says, regardless of what comes against you, I am with you. Regardless of what comes against you, I am with you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now verse 10. Okay, we're transitioning. We're moving forward into a new season. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, verse 11, this is where we want to hit today. Go through the camp and tell the people, get provisions ready for yourselves. For within three days, you will be crossing the Jordan to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you to inherit. Go through the camp and tell the people, get provisions ready. Get provisions ready. Get prepared. Be ready for yourselves. For within three days, you will be crossing the Jordan to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you to inherit. You know, a lot of times there's plenty of teaching when we hear about miracles. Uh, We usually follow several tangents. You probably got plenty of teaching or have heard a lot of teaching on expecting a miracle. Expect a miracle. Need to be an expectation. Believing for a miracle. Teaching on praying for a miracle. Getting a miracle. Receiving your miracle. But there's not a lot of teaching that I've found. But I believe this component of miracles is just as valuable, if not more valuable, than expecting and believing for and praying and receiving miracles. We must learn how to manage miracles. Miracle management. Miracle management. What would have happened if the miracle of the Red Sea would have been properly and faithfully managed? What would have happened if the miracle of the water coming out of the rock would have been adequately maintained and managed in the life of the Israelites? See, God is moving us, transitioning us, all of us as believers. We came out of darkness, sin, sinners. You become a believer. Some of you have probably heard before, uh, you know, uh, maybe even said it about yourself. I'm just a sinner saved by grace, right? I'm a sinner saved by grace. Man, I thank God for his grace that has saved me, but I'm still just a messed up, sorry, crazy sinner. But that's not what the word of God says. The word of God actually says, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You have transitioned out of being a sinner and you become a believer. So you were a sinner. Not you are a sinner. You were a sinner. If you've come out of darkness into light, God doesn't look down and say, oh, that's that sorry sinner. That, that poor little sinner, sinner person. Oh, that, if we could just get them. To not be a sinner anymore. Jesus, what, you didn't try hard enough? You didn't, you didn't die long enough? You, you, you didn't get punished enough, beat enough? Didn't have enough holes drilled into your body? That there's still sinners? All that work you did, all that blood that was shed, and there's still, that's not what God sees. God says his atonement was good enough. Past, present, and future. You're no longer a sinner. From this day forward, don't ever call yourself a sinner. I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm a child of God. I am royalty. I am greatness. I am seated at the right hand of the Father with heavenly places, in heavenly places, with heavenly blessings, with Jesus. When God sees me, he sees Jesus. How many times did Paul write, in him, in whom? I think like 138 times. In his gospels. You think he's trying to get a point across? 
You're in him. In whom we have redemption. In him we're seated. In him we reign and rule. In him we are in Christ. You're in Christ's identity. You're in Christ's realities is more real than anything you exercised or lived in in your past. God didn't just cover it up with the band-aid. He wiped it clean off the slate. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But God is trying to move. We move from sinner to believer. But now God wants to move believers to participators. Your sinner lifestyle was in Egypt, bound by one that you were actually greater than, stronger than, could have overcome. But without the right thinking, they overcame us. We come into the wilderness and God shows his hand by his greatness, by his mercy, by his grace, by, by his awesomeness, the miraculous power of God. And he's trying to prove to you, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to neglect you. God isn't trying to convince these Israelites in Joshua chapter 1 of something that he has yet to do. He's reminded them of what he has been doing. When you grumbled and complained, did I not bring water out of the rock? When you turned against my ways and turned against my, my words, did I not bring manna from heaven? Did I not bring dinner on the ground by birds every evening? Did I not part the Red Sea? I am who I said I am. Will you believe in me to be? And so the believer, the believer lives at the mercy of miracles. The believer lives saying, God, I need you to do this, and God, I need you to do that. But now God is wanting to move us from believers in the kingdom, yes. But he wants you to be a partner. He wants you to be a participator. He wants you to work with him in tandem to see the mission accomplished. So now he's given them words that he's never given them. He, uh, prepare? Prepare what? We've just been walking in circles. See, preparation's a different mentality. You have to think different when you prepare. Preparation means we're going somewhere, right? Preparation means you're going somewhere. Preparation means, I mean, when, you're, when you are, you get a passport. Why? Because you're expecting to go out of the country. You ain't going out of the country at a drop of a hat if you don't got a passport. It takes at least six to eight weeks to get one of those suckers. Just letting you know. If you have any idea in trying to go out of the country, get you one now. Isn't that what you told your kids? Pastor Chris, what'd you tell your kids? Because you're going somewhere. If you ain't expecting to go anywhere, you don't need a passport. Stay at home. He's letting them know you got to prepare. Because we're going somewhere. We're not staying here anymore. He's not just transitioning them geographically. He's transitioning them mentally. That's why he says words like, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Be courageous. Be strong. He's letting them know we're going somewhere. He's letting you know you're going somewhere. So we got to prepare. Go through the camp. Tell the people, get provisions ready for yourselves. Now watch this. For within three days, three days, they've been wandering around for 40 years, and God says, I've given you three days. Get your stuff together. Let me ask you something. If in three days, the thing you've been believing for, praying for, kneeling for, uh, uh, yearning for, asking God, if God was going to do it in three days, would you be ready? Would you be ready? Would you be ready? Would you be ready? If God restored that marriage that you've been praying for, longing for, yearning for, would you be ready? Would your heart be ready to receive them? If they came and they just completely asked for forgiveness, and, and, but would there be bitterness in your heart ready to receive their forgiveness? Hello? Would you be ready? There's a three-day turnaround. We're looking at three days. And look, when you wait and you wait and you circle 
and you circle, and you, you're going around, and you're going around, and you're going around, and when are we ever getting out of this, and when are we ever going to move into the promised land, and when are we ever going to ever see the, the blessings and the promises and, and, and everything that God ha, has pro- spoken to us and told us that we're going to walk. When you see this over and over and over, over time, you begin to lose hope. You begin to lose sight, and before you know it, you're not ready. You're not ready. There was a time where Jesus came to a man that was laying at the beside, beside the pool of Bethesda. Said for 38 years he had laid there, not, not able to walk. In this pool, there's an angel that would come down, stir the waters, first one in the water would get healed. And he says, well, I try to get in, but everybody beats me to it. 38 years I've been trying. 38 years I've been hoping. 38 years I've been praying. 38 years I've been wishing. 38 years I've been working. And I have no progress. No results. Just going in circles. Just going around in circles. And I've tried. And I've tried. And I've worked. You know what begins to set in your heart? Disappointment. Well, maybe God won't. Maybe that wasn't for me. Maybe I missed it. Maybe it's not my time. Maybe I just need to do this, or maybe I just need to do that. And before you know it, you're not ready. You're not ready. And now he comes and he shows up, and in three days he says, get ready. Make preparation. Make preparation. That's the first step. That's the first step to miracle management. Miracle management. Number one, preparation. To this point, God has simply provided for Israel. They haven't had to prepare anything. But are you prepared? Are you prepared for the miracle? Are you ready for the miracle? Are you ready for God to show himself strong? Are you ready for God to to do the thing, to answer the prayer, to, to show up in your life the way he said he would? Are you ready? Are you prepared? The, the, the number one thing you've got to do to brace yourself and be ready for a miracle is be prepared. Number two, it's participation. Number two, it's participation. He says, get provisions ready for yourselves, for within three days, you will cross the Jordan. Now, wouldn't it have been nice if God said, "Ah, don't stay right where you're at. Don't worry about that, Jordan. I'm gonna bring it to you. I mean, he's a God of miracles, right? Hey, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to part the Jordan so they can get across to you, right? That's what we want. We want, have you noticed in life, we, we want the greatest blessing, but with as little participation is involved. We live in a society that wants to know, what's the, what is the minimum? What's the least I can do? What's the least I can put in? What's the least I can do? We live in a society today and the world is pushing us towards it. We got it, don't worry. You don't need to do a thing. Every credit card uh, commercial that comes on, talking about we're gonna pay off all your, that sounds great, doesn't it? It just gives you a different payment. That's all it does. There's no magic trick to this. He's letting them know, you're going to participate. You will cross. And just as your forefathers believed that they were going to cross the Red Sea and I'm going to part it, you're going to believe. You're going to be required to participate. You're going to be prepared. In three days we're going, get ready. You got to participate. Look, this is the intersection of heaven and earth. This is the intersection of the kingdom of God and, and, and our agendas. And when we participate with God, we lay down our kingdom. We lay down our will. We lay down our plan and we take up his purpose. That's how this works. God is trying to get his kingdom in the earth and he's not wanting to do it without you. From the beginning of time, he said, I will involve man in my mission. I will involve man in my mission. 
And he created man in his image and in his likeness. And he said, let them reign and let them have a rule and let them have dominion over all the earth. Why? Because he wants you involved. He wants you engaged. There's nothing in this earth God is doing without using mankind. Nothing. Nothing. Go through the Bible. Show me what God did without first finding a man. God is always looking for a man, an obedient, righteous man. And you don't have to be qualified. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to have it figured out. You don't have to be educated. You don't have to have the right amount of money. You don't have to have the right people around you. He will find, he will find an Abraham and say, you're going to be a father of many nations. He'll find a Noah and say, you're going to build me an ark. He'll find a David, a shepherd boy, and say, you're going to be the next king of Israel. He'll find a murderer named Paul and say, you're going to start churches. You're going to launch the New Testament church. Even when he wanted to save and redeem mankind from their sins, he had to find a way to get himself in the flesh, and he named him Jesus. He's not doing anything in the earth without using you and I. Without using you and I, he said, I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose, the the heaven is waiting on you to take action. Participate. Partner. We love that word around here. Partner. Partner means it's not all one-sided. Partner means I I, I don't just sit around and wait for God to open up the heavens and do just crazy stuff. What am I doing to participate? What am I doing to be involved? What am I doing to be engaged? What am I doing? What investment am I putting in? So I gotta be prepared. In three days, we're going. And you will cross the Jordan. You gotta participate. Be involved. And he says, and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you to inherit. Number three is possess. Number one is prepare. Number two is participate. Number three is possess it. Take ownership of it. Now here's the thing about stewardship. This is what we're talking about. How are you stewarding what God has placed in your care? Stewardship is not ownership. Stewardship is not ownership. Stewardship literally means taking care of the affairs of another. That's stewardship. Stewardship is taking care of the affairs of another. It doesn't belong to me, but I'm going to take care of it while it is in my possession as if I owned it. As if I owned it. And this is the level that God has called us to. We are stewards in this earth. You are steward of the breath that you breathe every day. You are steward over the influence that he has placed you in. Every single one of you has a circle of influence. Whether it's two people or 2,000 people, he has given you influence. He's given you a sphere of influence that you impact every day. You impact way more people than I impact. You're going to talk to people, see people, touch people, listen to people, engage people that I will not see this week. But between the time you walk out of these doors this week and when you walk back in next week, you will have engaged a sphere of influence I may never see. But I'm depositing something in you that you can take to them. And it's as if I was there. Never diminish what God has called you to steward over. Never diminish. Stay-at-home mom, he's called you to parent. He's called you to the highest calling of being a mother. Working mom that has to drop your kids off at a daycare, he's called you to work and to provide and to be an influence wherever he's called you to be and to every customer he puts you in front of and every employee you have and every employer you work for and every person, every vendor, every, every engagement you have, you are stewarding that. You're not the owner of it. You're taking care of it. He's letting them know, I'm giving you a land. I'm giving you a land that you're going to have to take risks with, that you're going to have to take responsibility for, 
but I proved to you in the wilderness, I'm the one making it happen. See, the thing is, is if we don't have a wilderness, we'll think that all the battles we fight and all the wars that we wage, that we made it happen. Look what I did. Look at the battle I fought. I I shouted loud enough and the walls came down. No, God made the walls come down. You had to walk around silently, not saying a word for seven days, and then the seventh time, shout on the seventh day. What'd they have to do? Participate. See, without a wilderness, the line becomes blurred where God's work stops and my work begins. I need a wilderness where I I can look back and say, man, he brought me through this trial. He brought me through this storm. He brought me through this challenge. He brought me through these issues. He brought me through this depression. He brought me through that marriage. He brought me through the hopelessness. He brought me through anxiety. He brought me through that sickness. He brought me through that disease. He brought me through that financial season of lack. He brought me through all the hurt and all the pain, but I have to partner with God. I can't lose sight of what he's doing, but I have to take ownership and stewardship of what he's called me to do. Without a wilderness, you'll think it was all you. But without a promised land, you'll think it's all God. And it's neither. It's you and God. Working together. Privilege always comes with responsibility. Privilege always comes with responsibility. And what I've learned is only the immature expect privilege without responsibility. The older you get, the more you realize the responsibility that comes with privilege. As a child, you just see stuff that's given to you, handed to you, placed in your care, regardless of how you take care of it, regardless of what you did to get it, regardless of how you work for it, regardless of what you do with it. But as we grow in the Lord and as we mature in the Lord and as we progress in what he's called us to do, the line from privilege to responsibility begins to close. I remember that there were things as a child that I would ask my dad for or want or desire to have. I mean, we, we always had, you know, not we, we, we never had huge houses growing up. They were always just kind of normal size. Have you ever noticed if you look at pictures of the home that you grew up in when you were a child, how small it really looked? Have you ever done that? You should do it. Go online, type in your address, find pictures of your house that you grew up in, and look at how small it really was. I had no idea. I thought it was a big house. I thought it was huge. But growing up, I always wanted two stories. I don't know why. I just thought if you have two stories, it's a mansion. If you got two stories, that means you're doing something right. I don't know. Just having a two-story home. The privilege of having a two-story home came with the responsibility of climbing stairs. And so my dad said, no, I'm good. We don't need to be climbing stairs every day. We don't need the hassle. We don't need two separate AC units going on. We don't, you know, the whole mess that comes with it. Why? Because to one person, they see privilege. To the other person, they see responsibility. And as you get older, you begin to see where God's promises and God's blessings, yeah, they're a privilege but there's a responsibility that comes with it. There's a management that comes with it. Worship team, if you'd come. I want us to be, look, there are times where management can be dangerous. There are times where just being in management mode and where you become secure and, and you just become familiar and you just become comfortable where you're at, that's not what management is designed to do. When you faithfully and effectively manage the miracles of God in your life, your expectation of what he can do and will do will grow. I promise you. I promise you. 
when you see God work a miracle in your life, it does something on the inside that says, man, if he can do this, I know he can do this. If he can bring me through, through that, I know he can take me through this. And an expectation and a desire. But we have to work on miracle management. Miracle management. Don't let the miracles of God and the work of God be something that happens in your life void of any level of participation. Be void of of any level of taking responsibility over what God has called you to do. Where God has called you to apply your faith. The Bible in James says, faith without works is dead. That word dead means unfruitful, incomplete, ineffective. Faith without works is unfruitful, incomplete. means it's not finished. It's not finished. He says, how, how, are you, how are you proclaiming? How are you claiming with your mouth, I have faith in God, but your actions and your works don't back that up. Now it's not by your works. It's not by your works. But God wants to involve us in the process. Next week, with our stretch offering, you're participating. When, when, we, when we bring that stretch offering next week, we are saying, God, we are not expecting you to do what you're going to do through Anchor Faith Church in Invalid Austin, Georgia without using us. I will make sure you use me. And it's not the amount of the stretch. It's not the amount that's on the check. It's not the dollar amount that gets God's attention. It's your faith. It's your partnership. It's you coming alongside saying, God, I want to see you do great and mighty things at Anchor Faith Church. I want to see you grow and increase us. I want to see you put us in a position where we don't ever have to turn down a a move or an opportunity that you bring our way. We want to see Valdosta grow and and, and continue to be impacted by the kingdom of God. We want to see Lowndes County won for Jesus Christ. We want to see these efforts and these missions grow, but not with me on the bench. Not with me sitting in the stands as a spectator. We are participators. And so I'm going to apply my faith. I'm going to stretch my faith because I believe that if I connect with the heart of God, if I connect what I can do, then we will see what He can do. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.